Good evening. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Michael, for leading us in those songs. Thank you for being here tonight. It's a beautiful rainy day outside, isn't it? And uh, uh, we're thankful for the rain, uh, but it does um, cause travel issues sometimes, and so uh, we want to remember those that might be traveling uh, as they travel uh, in this rain. Also remember those that were mentioned this morning uh, on, on our prayer list. Uh, also with um, Hollis and Eleanor as they uh, came forward this morning asking for prayers for their family. Uh, Hollis, uh, his mother, and also uh, Miss Eleanor and uh, her sister and niece So as they battle cancer. So remember all of them uh, in your prayers, uh, if you will. Turn your Bibles to the book of John chapter 17 and we'll meet there in just a few moments. There was a sign that was on this tax accountant's cluttered desk and it read this. The hurrier I go, the behinder I get. The hurrier I go, the behinder I get. Now I'm not sure that's proper English, but it does remind us, doesn't it, of how busy our lives have gotten. I mean, we do. We live in a hurried society, don't we? Families are torn apart by work, by sports, by church activities, school, and a million other things. In fact, I came across uh, this research. According to a Barner Research report, mothers spend an average of only 50 minutes per week in meaningful, meaningful interaction with their teens. And it's worse with fathers. Statistics show that fathers who live in the home with their teenage children spend only 15 minutes per week in meaningful interaction. And in single-parent homes, the challenges are even more difficult. You talk to someone and you ask how, how they're doing. Oh, I'm, I'm doing good, but just busy. Busy doing this and busy doing that. Nothing wrong with being busy, but sometimes we're so busy that... Maybe that crowds out some things are important, that are important. And in fact, families, very few families still sit down and actually eat a meal together anymore. And many times our prayer lives are in crisis mode. In other words, the only time that we pray is when trouble comes. So what are we to do? Well, I think we can look at Jesus. And I want us to learn tonight from, uh, we won't look at all the aspects of Jesus and His prayer life, but some things from the prayer life of Jesus and what we can do to help in our prayer life as we live these busy lives. Because we all know prayer is important. First of all, we can see through the prayer life of Jesus is that He made time, He made quiet time, and He made that important. And we all recognize the value to set aside time, don't we? I mean, we see the value to take time out of our busy week. We look forward to the weekend. Why? So we can do things around the house or around the yard. So we can take time out from our busy schedules and do the things that we really want to do. We also set aside time for vacation, don't we? We know it's important to get away and, and to rejuvenate and, and things like that. We know what it's like and that it's important uh, to set aside time for recreation, just enjoying things, exercising, those kind of things. But we also even recognize the importance of having time to pray. 
We tend to set aside time for all these other things, but often we fail to set aside regular time to pray. Jesus was one of the busiest people in all of history. I mean, you think about uh, the multitudes that followed Him. Uh, The people that were pulling at Him and coming to Him constantly over and over and over. So if if anybody understood what it's like to be busy, it was Jesus, wasn't it? He knew what it was like to be pulled in all different directions. Everybody wanting a part of His time. And yet Jesus made time. He set aside time to get away and have quiet time with the Father. And if Jesus, the busiest person probably in all the world, saw the need to do that, then we should as well. And isn't it interesting, even though we realize it's important to set aside time for vacation, but isn't it interesting that sometimes we return from that vacation more exhausted and not rejuvenated? Maybe you've said the phrase before, when, when we get back from vacation, I need a vacation from the vacation, right? Because even vacations are so busy. Someone has said, if God is our Father, then we, like Jesus, must take time alone to talk with Him. If we don't, we've missed the point of prayer and the essence of what being God's child is all about. We fail to find the true rest, relaxation, and rejuvenation that come from being on the mountain with God. And when I read that, that's why I wanted to share that with you. I thought, wow, that's powerful. Uh, Because we know it's important to exercise. We know it's important to take time out of our week. We call it the weekend. We know it's important to set aside a time to go on vacation. And what is it we're looking for? We're, We're looking for relaxation. We're looking for rejuvenation. We're looking for something separate and apart what we do day in and day out, week in and week out. But the reality is where we find true rest, where we find true rejuvenation, is setting aside quiet time with God. You see, Jesus made that a habit. He made it a habit to set aside time to be alone with the Father and to pray to Him. For example, after a day of healing the sick and feeding the 5,000, Jesus needed to get away. Listen to what Matthew said in Matthew chapter 14. Immediately Jesus Jesus made His disciples get into the boat and go before Him to the other side, while He sent the multitudes away. And when He had sent the multitudes away, He went up on the mountain by Himself to pray. Now when evening came, He was alone there. Another day after a long day of healing, Jesus rose early in the morning to pray. Mark 1.35 says, Now in the morning... Having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. You see, it's interesting that Jesus didn't, uh, he didn't stop working. The busiest person probably in all of history did not stop working. He kept working, but he set aside time because it was important to spend time alone With God. And in Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, the Bible says, However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. 
Are you tired? Do you need rest and relaxation? Do you need to be rejuvenated? Well, we learn from Jesus that we do that when we make quiet time with God a priority. You see, for Jesus getting away, private time getting away to be with God, it was important. It was a regular part of His life. Someone else wrote, To him prayer was more than a religious ceremony to be done. It was more than a custom before meals or a ritual before bed, and certainly not a last resort. Prayer was the lifeblood of Jesus. That's powerful, isn't it? You see, Jesus made time to be alone with the Father because He longed to be with Him. Remember what it's like to look forward to an event? Maybe it's a vacation. Maybe it's a game. Whatever it is. We look forward to that. Maybe it's we look forward to a person. We look forward to, uh, to this new relationship we've started to being with that person. Maybe it is we look forward to seeing and spending time with our spouse. Whatever it is. We know what it's like to long to be in that spot or in that event or with that person. And for Jesus, yes it was with people, but it's priority. He longed to be with the Father. He knew those times of personal contact with the Father through prayer would give Him peace and strength. And we know the Lord would need that as well. Too often folks make time for God out of a sense of duty. Because we want or need something or because we're in trouble. Instead, we should make time for prayer because we, like Jesus, long to spend time with the Father. Maybe you've been guilty of this as well. I know many times days have been long and days have been busy. And I lay down and the next morning I wake up and I think, I forgot to pray. Ever been there? Well, you see, if we can learn to have an attitude like Jesus and to long to be with the Father and spend time with the Father... It won't be a forgot, will it? It won't be a, I'm too tired. We'll be like Jesus and we'll long for that time with the Father. A few weeks ago on Wednesday night, we've been studying from the Psalms and the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And we came across Psalm chapter 1. And I want to share this psalm with you because there's a word, there's a couple of words actually, that I believe relate to to this idea of making quiet time with God. The psalmist writes, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And here it is. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He dwells on it. And when he does that, he shall be like a tree, here's the word, planted. What is that word planted? Well, let let me go on and say it and we'll come back to that. Planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. What does that idea of the word planted give us in our mind? It's intentional, right? 
It's planted. Now, either uh, vegetation and stuff is planted by God or it's planted by us. It's intentional. And so, our time alone with God needs to also be intentional. And so, Jesus made quiet time a priority. But there's something else we learn from the prayers of Jesus. We learn that He gave thanks We'll look at some of these other examples. All through the Gospels, when Jesus, when He gave out food, the first thing He did was He blessed it. For example, in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 19, in the feeding of the 5,000, you remember when He asked for those loaves and fish, when they brought it to Him, before the miracle of, of being able to provide for all these people, what did Jesus do? The first thing He did was He blessed it. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. In Matthew chapter 15 and verse 36, at the feeding of the 4,000, the Bible says this, when He had given thanks, He broke them. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26, at the Last Supper, knowing He's facing death, the last opportunity to sit down and enjoy this meal with His disciples, He said, the Bible says, He took bread and He gave thanks and broke it. And He gave it to His disciples saying, Take, eat, this is My body. Even the resurrected Lord, in Luke chapter 24 and verse 30, when eating a supper, the supper, a supper with His disciples, uh, the ones that He met on the road to Emmaus, He took bread and the Bible says, He blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Now these stories all share with us great things that were accomplished, but sometimes when we look at those stories, sometimes we can miss... Probably the greatest part of that story, because we talk about how he how he turned in those loaves and fish. Uh, we talk about how, how he did these great things. But the one common in all that is that the first thing he did was he blessed it. He always took time to give thanks for what had been given to him. And it's sad that many times. In some places and in some homes, this practice is lost. I read a story about years ago when some were growing up that they never partook of a meal without a prayer. might be a good practice for us to follow our Lord. Someone said this about this saying, He is not... Only, he not only teaches His disciples to pray for daily bread, but by His example He teaches us to be grateful for it. Blessing the bread gives thanks to God and calls on Him to bless it for His service. Now listen to this. This person says, Our food comes from God and is also for God. We eat to live for Him. Now that's an interesting thought, isn't it? I've never thought that we eat to live for God. Oh, now nutritionists will tell us we should eat to live and not live to eat, right? But have we ever thought when we sat down to partake of that meal, I am eating so that I might live for God. And when I sat down at that meal and I remember that, it might help me to remember I need to give thanks like Jesus did for what God has given me. You see, Jesus, who had the power to turn stones to bread, still trusted in the Father. No one else, He trusted in the Father. And that's why He gave thanks to the Father 
for all that he received. And then another thing we find from the prayers of Jesus is that sometimes we should ask for the impossible. The impossible? You remember in John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Hold your finger in John chapter 17 and turn back to chapter 11. In verses 41 and following, you remember when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. This is an example that where we get where Jesus prayed to the Father for what seemed to be impossible. What seemed to be impossible. Verse 41. Then they took away, remember He told them to take away the stone. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laying. And Jesus lifted His eyes heavenward and said, Father, He's addressing Father God, I thank You that You have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And then he said, Lazarus, come forth. This is another one of those examples of where something great happened. We see a great miracle here. What a powerful miracle. Someone being raised from the dead. I mean, this was a man who had been dead for four days. And is brought back immediately to life. But you see, this miracle takes place along with prayer. Someone has said this passage serves as a commentary on Jesus' own teaching on the power of prayer. No one, not the disciples, not the crowd, and certainly neither Mary nor Martha, expected Lazarus to be raised. In fact, Martha misunderstood Jesus when he uh, said, yes, Lazarus is going to rise. And she thought he meant uh, in the resurrection in the last day. She understood that. She believed in that. But Jesus, you remember, tried to tell her what was about to happen. I mean, the reality is no one can raise somebody from the dead, right? It's impossible. And Jesus lifts His eyes to the Father and says, I thank You that You hear me. I'm going to share with you a story that Gary Holloway shares in his book on prayer. It's a powerful story. And he says, he talks about a boyhood friend. He said, at one point we were closer than brothers, but our lives took a different took different paths. I remember as a 15-year-old having long conversations, and he says, we'll call him Bob, about our mutual faith in Jesus and our excitement in studying the Bible. He says, okay, I'll admit we were strange teenagers. But in later years, he began to drink, alienated his family and friends, and became a complete recluse. I tried more than once to talk to him about his relationship to the Lord, but he always rebuffed me with laughter or with anger. Eventually, I confess, I gave up on Bob and even forgot about him in my prayers. He seemed beyond hope of change. Impossible, he says. As others continued to pray for Bob, an amazing thing happened. Like the demon-possessed man of old, the next time I saw him, he was in his right mind having returned to the Lord and to the church. And Holloway asked this question, is there a Bob in your life? 
one who is spiritually as spiritually dead as Lazarus was physically dead? Don't stop believing in the power of prayer for him or her. The God who raised Lazarus from the, by the power of Jesus' prayer can do what cannot be done. When I read that story, it reminded me of a story very similar that I remember from when our early days in ministry back in Decatur, Decatur Alabama. There was a husband and wife that had attended services there at the church for years. And I had not known them. I had only been there a short time. And one day, they came back to services, walked down the aisle and rededicated their life to the Lord and was faithful uh, until uh, one of them passed on. And the wife is still faithful today. But I remember someone telling me, we have tried for 20 years to encourage those in the, those, that couple to come back to the Lord. 20 years. Some people, even like Holloway, had given up. Had given up. Let's not give up on what seems to be impossible. John chapter 17 I want us to notice from the prayer of our Lord. Many times earlier in the book, people call when His disciples asked Him to pray the Lord's Prayer, but this is truly the Lord's Prayer. Verses 1-5, through He begins praying for His glory to be shown. The glory of the Father and the glory of the Son. But I want us to notice some things from John chapter 17 that Jesus prayed for. One thing that we find here that He prayed for is that He prayed for protection. Even facing death, Jesus thinks not of Himself, but He thinks of His disciples. Most of this prayer, verse 9 tells us, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom You have given Me for they are yours. You see, Jesus was praying for His disciples. Earlier in John chapter 14, He was concerned about them. And He told them, I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm going to give you the helper, the comfort of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14. But I want you to notice in John chapter 17, verses 14 and following. He says, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but I pray that you should keep them from the evil one. He's praying for protection from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Jesus was concerned about their protection. He knew persecution was coming. He knew the evil one would tempt them and attack them just like he had done Jesus himself. And so he prayed for protection. You know, we don't really see the kind of persecution that the apostles saw, do we? We don't see that really in our life. 
We hear about it around the world, but we haven't seen it yet in our lifetime. Perhaps it will be here. And as a result, it's real easy to become comfortable in the world and feel at home in the world, can't it? When the whole idea of Christianity is to be called out from the world, to live in the world but not be of the world, just like these apostles. And that's why it's important. Because we can become comfortable in the world. That we pray for protection from this world that easily distracts us and from living, distracts us from living godly lives and seeking to make disciples. Another thing we find in, in John chapter 17 or in the prayers of Jesus, even in these verses, is that He prayed for others. He prayed for protection, but He prayed for others. Facing imminent death, He's not thinking about Himself. He's thinking about those apostles. He's thinking about those followers. He was even thinking about you and I that would be here years and years and years and years later following the Lord. Sometimes in our prayers, it's real easy for us to think only of ourselves. But that wasn't the case with Jesus. Have you been in trials before? I've been there. And the trials that I've been in, they weigh heavy. They weigh heavy on us. And so we should take from the example of Jesus, even in those trials, when we are thinking about what's going on in our life, where we are praying about our trials, that we also, like Jesus, remember others, especially those that are out of the household of faith. Pray for others and their needs. Pray for their peace and their joy. Pray for their spiritual needs. Holloway shares a story about a young boy, and I want to share it with you. He says, I was recently taught this lesson of concern for others by a boy at our church. Walt is a typical five-year-old, full of life and smart as a whip, born with a bone weakness. Last month, he broke his leg for the fifth time. In a cast and in pain, Walt was told about an older woman in our church, a friend of his who had passed away. She'll have a new body, he said with glee. Though his own body had betrayed him, Walt could rejoice with others. And in the same way facing death, Jesus thought of us. And He thought of others. What a great example that we can learn from that young boy. And then a final thing that we see that Jesus prayed for is He prayed for unity. Notice verses 20 and following. He prayed for unity among His followers. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in Me through their Word. And we can see on and on how the cycle goes that that includes us as well. That they all may be one as You, Father, are in Me and I in You, that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that You sent Me. And the glory which You gave Me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and You in Me, that they may be made perfect in May, may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, uh, they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus prayed for his followers. 
He prayed for His apostles. He prayed for the ones that they would teach and down the line that they would teach, that they would teach, that they would teach, and even for you and I. He prayed that we might be one just as He and the Father is one. But isn't it sad that a large portion of the history of the church has been disunity? I'll share, to, share with you some powerful words that someone wrote. This person says, A wise Christian teacher once told me that the problem with most Christians is that they are too concerned with being right. If I care only that I am right and you are wrong, we can never have unity. Now don't misunderstand what he's saying. Jesus has prayed about His Word being truth, the Word of God being truth. He's not necessarily saying that it's wrong to be right. But isn't it true sometimes we can become so focused on being right that we never love enough to show someone what's right? So let us join with Jesus in praying for unity among God's people, but also seek unity through Jesus Christ and the Word of God. In May of 2001, journalist Giles Brandeth interviewed a South African archbishop. Desmond Tutu. I believe I shared this story with you, but it's powerful as we think about prayer and learning from Jesus. It was a powerful experience for Brandeth, as the story goes, for Desmond Tutu was suffering from prostate cancer. And there was a real chance this might be the last interview he would ever give. Now you imagine that. If you were a high person uh, in politics uh, or anything like that, or in a business or whatever, and you had the last interview, what would you focus on? What would you be thinking about? What would you want to talk uh, to this person about in this last interview? What might Tutu want to talk about? This guy said. Perhaps the amazing transformation in the politics of his country and of which he himself had a leading role. No. Here's what he told Brandeth. If this is going to be my last interview, I am glad we are not going to talk about politics. Let us talk about prayer and adoration, about faith, hope, and forgiveness. And as the story goes, for Tutu, these are the things that are important in life. Jesus made time for prayer with the Father. Jesus gave thanks, likely not only for food, maybe even for people. And we learn some great examples from the prayer of Jesus. That He asked for things that seemed to be impossible. He prayed about protection. He prayed about unity. What some powerful lessons from the prayer life 
of Jesus. I'm not sure about you, but this lesson has hit home to me because of the importance in our busy, busy life. Sometimes even so busy in the work of the church that we have to be careful not to forget to set aside time to spend with the Father. Not because it's our duty, but because we long to be with the Father and to spend that time because we know tough times will come and we will need peace and strength just like Jesus. Maybe here tonight, we always want to give anyone the opportunity to give their life to Jesus. If you're here tonight and you haven't done so, we have water. The eunuch asks, here's water, what's hindering me from being baptized? Because I believe. And he says, if you believe, you may. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And the Bible says, Philip took the eunuch down in that water and he baptized him. Where he came in contact with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says he, wrote, he went on, after he rose up out of that water, he went on his way rejoicing. You can do that tonight as well. Maybe it is you're here tonight. And you need us as a church family, like Hollis and Eleanor did this morning, to set aside a time to go to our Heavenly Father on your behalf, to pray with you and to pray for you, lifting you up to the Father. Whatever your need is tonight, we pray that you'll make it known. As together we stand and sing.